Good afternoon and welcome back to Trial by Fire with your hosts, Stacey and Rachel. Stace, it's been a minute. How have you been? Busy. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, busy, but I mean, to all our listeners, we just honestly could not make it happen until today. We've been so busy around here uh, preparing for the reopening, having the actual reopening, and uh, believe it or not, we've had a lot of conferrals of sacraments. So it's is definitely a busy time here. It has. I cannot even put into words how intensely busy it has been since we recorded. Uh, I thought when we were like, oh, we'll see you next week. It was going to be so easy. Oh, no. It's just everything came like a landslide. So I'm so grateful we are back and we're ready to be with our amazing audience. Uh-huh. Uh, so we have a lot to get through since we've had this time off. And so I'm very eager to hear from you, our listeners, as well as chat it up with Stace. So Stace, go ahead and lead us in some opening prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All-powerful and ever-living God, you have poured out the Holy Spirit as a constant friend and guide for your apostles. Send that same spirit of love to us to make us faithful witnesses to you in the sight of all mankind. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I know. It's supposed to be summertime. It's supposed to be like summer slowdown, do some planning for the upcoming academic year. And, you know, just leisure time, so to speak, slow-paced, whatever, not so much. Definitely not. There is, uh, I feel like pandemic completely took away a semblance of time and routine and everything that I usually did during the summer, because I feel like I have just not stopped running. Yeah, this is not my typical summer, I would say. I mean, it's, we're in the middle of June. Uh, and normally I'm doing, a, well, I'm doing many different things than I'm currently doing, but I'm not in the pro I mean, I'm not usually in the process of winding down my, my, <laughs> my uh, year in the middle of June. Agreed. So, Agreed. You know, this is usually the time that I dig out and do all the reports and, you know, to go to the diocese and things like that. Um, yeah, not so much. No, I would agree. Um, usually, uh, this time of the year, I am starting to teach summer school and then doing a planning for the fall. However, I feel like not only am I doing those things, but I'm also finishing up wrap up from this past year and still trying to juggle and close that chapter while trying to be present for now. And literally, as we're talking, I remembered a job I need to do later on today. I'm like, oh man, I got to do this. So it's it's been a while. It's been wild. But we are here in California in the state of reopening. Uh, that has definitely impacted our parish here. Um, Stace, why don't you talk about what some of that's been like? Uh, it's been really crazy for us because we've had what I would I would term it as an extended lockdown, and you know there was a great deal of hope I would say with the June fifteenth uh, targeted date of reopening, but at the same time, um, for those of us who are involved in the logistics of it of the reopening, I think there was a little bit of anxiety and trepidation because we we just weren't quite sure what that would look like. And, you know, we've been we've been at it. We've been in our current state for about 15 months here at St. Patrick's. And, you know, we were really faced with some difficult decisions. I mean, me personally, I was hoping that we would get the necessary memos 
and the communiques from the uh, from the state and government uh, level so that we could actually um, pull off the reopening of masses as soon as possible. And, you know, they say the church works slow. Um, I, I think the government beats us in that department. The government works even slower. But yes. uh, to both of their credit, um, you know, we got the necessary memos and communiques in time. And we were actually able to go back to Mass uh, that Tuesday because luckily our daily Mass is in the afternoons on uh, Tuesday. So we actually were able to go back without the restrictions, which, um, you know, giving us the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday daily Masses gives uh, kind of exposes to some of our parishioners what they could anticipate for the weekend. Um I think, you know, over the weekend, I would say we averaged over 200 people per mass, which is uh, pretty good um, for our first week back. And, um, you know, with it being Father's Day weekend, and then also we had special masses. Um, the newly ordained Father Abraham was here to do his masses of Thanksgiving. We were, we were the location for, the, for two of his masses. And so, you know, that kind of took us out of the ordinary in a sense. So we won't know what we're, we don't won't know where we're going or where we truly stand. I don't think probably till about August, but we've been taking it slow here at St. Pat's. Um, you know the structure of our mass still looks uh, the same as when it was held outdoors. Some of the different aspects we haven't brought back quite yet, like the passing of the collection. Our collection plate is still stationary at this time and point. Um, but we did go back to, you know, forming a communion line for the distribution of communion, as well as no social distancing. Um, and so it looked like the people were really receptive to uh, the changes and happy to be back. But at the same time, you know, June 15th is really, if, you, if you're ready to move forward, it's really just a nod. Unless you're ready to take your mask off and shake hands, it really doesn't mean anything to you. So I think when we sat down as a team to formulate our plan going forward, we were really empathetic and mindful to the fact that not everyone was going to be ready to come and sit so closely. So, um, but I, I think, you know, so far so good and baby steps. And hopefully, hopefully I would say by August, we'll start to see all the other familiar aspects of the mass come back, um, you know, like altar servers, passing the collection basket, um, you know, things like that. I would agree. Um, and I have to give a huge shout out to Stacy here, who's been on the front lines through this pandemic with all the changes that we get and supporting our local parish. Uh, it's just been really remarkable to watch and see how she's really led this transformation and these adjustments for our, um, church here at St. Patrick's. Um, from my end as the confirmation coordinator and high school youth minister, um, my focus uh, was primarily on the teens and their preparation. Um, weirdly enough, um, this would be the second time for me that my students completed their academia with an online format. And that's very controversial. I know a lot of our listeners, you have children, um, grandchildren, uh, nieces, nephews that have had to turn to the uh, internet and distance learning to learn. And in my role, I found that really trying to make 
honest and meaningful connections with our teens was that much more challenging because by April, May, they were so burnt. The kids were so burnt by that time of the computer of this time. And uh, many of them were going back to campus and they were back at school for that. And so asking them to go on the computer when for their normal Monday through Friday, they were online. Uh, it just felt like I was um, corralling a bunch of different animals at one time just to get them uh, to confirmation. Uh, however, I will say one of the most remarkable things occurred with our program, and I'm so grateful it's been successful for the past two years, um, for our youth retreats um, with our their sponsors. We try to get the sponsors to be as bought in with the uh, confirmation uh, candidates as the candidates are. And they went through and they did this in uh, interview with each other about the 12 claims to be a Catholic as they received their sacrament and watching their conversations, hearing the feedback from both the sponsor and the confirmation candidate. It was really amazing to be able to see that connection, even in this digital platform. Um, it was very authentic. And I felt that as you know, because once they left, they had about a month to do their closing interviews and get ready for the sacrament uh, in June. And to see them then on June 11th, ready to receive and proudly take on this final act of initiation with the sacrament of confirmation, it was just very, very beautiful. And I felt, you know, because <laughs> weirdly enough, June 11th was our sacrament, but the world reopened on June 15th. So our mass was outdoors. And, you know, we had a lot of people re so ready to get rid of their masks and so ready to not um, play by the rules that we have had through the pandemic uh, just because of their own personal preferences or vaccine status, all the works. Um, yet to see that it was like once I saw these amazing young people receive the sacrament, it was a visual reminder that this time was coming to an end, this pandemic you know, we had a brighter future with these teens because come four days from now, we were going to be, our entire society was going to be transitioning into the reopening phase. Um, so there is a real sense of hope that I had gathered from witnessing the sacrament and being a part of it this time. Uh, it was a different environment than the confirmation from last year because it, we were still in such unknown. It was so trying to manage every different protocol uh in order to get these teens to where they needed to be uh this time around it had a very different energy and uh we were very fortunate to be able to have our confirmation with our uh hispanic partners and so our mass was even bigger bishop came it, there were, it was just a lot of improvements um but i think the thing that really also was like the icing on the cake for hope was our increase in teen volunteers um, last year, um, we had two amazing young people who were ready to volunteer. And this year between the Hispanic group, our group, um, all the numbers, we had over 20 volunteers to help set up for confirmation. Uh, we had more bodies available to help with music, to help with, um, set up with uh, help with cleanup, all those different aspects. It, it was just so, such a blessing to be a part of it. And so now 
you know, like Stacy and I mentioned at the beginning, our duties and our responsibilities are totally different this time than what they usually are. And so I'm just kind of waiting to see, am I allowed to do in-person teaching next year are we going to say goodbye to distance or is the diocese not ready are we am i going to have to do distance again and have to ask these kids to be on a computer and try to learn um it right now it's just a very patient waiting game yeah and you know i i would say there's a lot of things i mean i think i spoke to this before um anybody that knows me really well i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a debbie downer but I'm not one of those people that always finds the good in every situation. I'm very much like, sometimes I'll just tell you, wow, that's not good. (laughs) You know? Yes. Like, I'm not like, but you know, here's the good thing about why this I'm not like that. So my point in even saying that is that I, I think that I still stand by what I said early on during the pandemic that I really think this could actually be a renaissance time in the church. I think that we could really come back a small, not, not, um, I don't know if I want to say better, but we could come back stronger. And, you know, many, many years ago, long before he was elected Pope, I think in his book, I think it was Salt of the Earth or Salt and Light or something like that. Anyways, Cardinal Ratzinger spoke about in the future, many, many years down the road, how the church might be a smaller church. And I, I kind of think, that's really prophetic. And I kind of think that that's almost what we're seeing now because we have really been through uh, something unprecedented, something that was universally uh, difficult to kind of wrap your mind around. No matter how it affected you, it affected everyone. It, It basically, it wasn't like this, you know, horrific thing that you saw in the news that you're like, wow, that's too bad. You know, it really, no one came out unscathed. You know, some of us definitely had it rougher than others, but we were all touched by it. And so I really think this could be a renaissance time for us. I think this could really be, you know, um, the time that, you know, because so many people kind of had that forced reprioritization of life because of it. And I think it'll be interesting going forward to see if they can continue with the, with the um, reprioritization that uh, took place in their life. And as people who work for the church as staff and as clergy and religious, I think it's interesting that um, we have to be prepared to meet their needs now more than ever. Because I feel like we should have always been doing that, but now I feel like we have this whole subset of people who were like our people, they're like kind of like the distant relative that you only see like on Christmas, you mm-hmm. know, and Easter. You only see them twice a year. So you don't really know them all that well, but you know you're related to them, right? I kind of feel like that's what we're kind of, part of what we're experiencing now is like that. We have all these people that they're Catholic, right? They were born Catholic. They were raised Catholic. They just kind of drifted away, got a little bit lazy in their obligations, but now they're back. And now they, not only do we want to know them, they want to know us. And we, they have needs. And we need to, not only do we need to know their needs, we need to at least attempt to meet their needs. And this is a chance for us to really get to know our people. And then on the other side of the coin, it's really a chance for our people to get to know their faith mm-hmm. and to delve deeper. And, you know, it was interesting because a couple of weeks ago, the pastor here, Father Beto, in his sermon, he was asking about, um, he was talking about, you know, what kind of faith do you have? 
Do you have like a six-year-old fate? Or do you have like a fate that actually is uh, a direct correlation to your actual physical age? And I think in the church today, we have many people who, who don't have a fate that is uh, a direct correlation to their actual physical age. And we need to work to narrow that gap, you know, because it will lead to them uh, being more faithful Catholics, more practicing Catholics, and at least us being a stronger church, which is, I mean, so important, especially in this, this time, this day and age. And um, switching gears, the other thing that I want to hit on when you were talking is that, you know, obviously it's easy to armchair quarterback anything in life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's times when, you know, let's face it, 95% of the time you get yourself in trouble, you didn't see it coming. But there are that 5% of times in your life where you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. I'm not going to do that. You know? Yeah. And I think when you look at the pandemic and you look at virtual learning, um, to me, it was very much um, quantity over quality. And you're looking at a generation that uh, my generation is always uh, preaching at and putting under their thumb to put the video games down, put the phone down, you know, don't uh, always be hooked to a screen. I mean, you see parents these days that have the tablet set up where, you know, it times out after a certain amount of time because the kids are only allotted a a certain amount of screen time every day. When you have a generation that is raised with some kind of device in their hand telling you, this doesn't work for me. I, I hate this. You know, I'm tired of being online. That's an eye opener. Yeah. To, to, to a generation that is so connected, so, you know, whether it's, you know, so connected to Tinder or Instagram or whatever it is, right? And they're saying, you know, I have enough. Like, I'm getting burnt out on this. I think you have to kind of take a step back and reevaluate and look at, you know, we can't, as a church, we can't have quantity over quality. We're already reaping the fruits of poor catechesis. I mean, do we really want to continue? We, we know that. We know that's one of our chief problems. I mean, it's easy to keep just going down the road and doing the same thing. Or do we kind of go the opposite way at the fork in the road and try to rectify that and get better about it? You know, so I'm definitely hoping um, that we are not uh, obligated or that we do not continue with virtual learning because I really, I really see a whole aspect that is missed due to virtual learning, you know, um, and the reason that I, I feel like I feel so strongly about that is because that's something in my own personal life that I struggled with that I had to work at because I know um, both when I was in college and even, you know, after I was married, I know my, my own personal confessor was telling me, you have to go outside of yourself. That's the one area you're not good at. And I've heard that for a long time because I, I feel very safe in my own little box. And it really doesn't matter how much I know about the church because I'm not I'm not helping anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing anything with my knowledge. I'm just keeping it for me. And that's the aspect we were missing. I mean, we can't just sit here and educate these kids on everything the church teaches, all the doctrine, the tenets, everything, and expect to produce phenomenal Catholics if they don't understand how to live the faith. And that that comes, yes, from knowing your faith, I mean, you need to know it to put it into practice, but it also comes with interacting with other Catholics. Absolutely. And that was what that was what we missed. And I understand it sounds like I'm being harsh, 
um, I understand we were in, you know, a, a serious situation and there weren't many solutions to it. I'm just saying, as good Catholics, we need to kind of maybe sit back and think that, like, hey, we might have to take a break, you know, from catechism at right this minute until we can come back in person. You know, and especially as, um, you know, when you, especially when you don't live in uh, a small area anymore where, I mean, I feel okay saying this as a parent, my kid always had plenty of friends. But if I had to label them by Catholic or non-Catholic, my kid didn't have that many Catholic friends. It just, it just was the way it was. But it was very important to me that she had other Catholic friends because I wanted her faith, you know, my faith, to be normalized in her eyes not a stigma yeah and i think that you know you made a really good point about how people right now you know we're reintegrating we're reopening and for a lot of them they didn't have catechesis during these past 15 months because of multiple factors but now as a parish and not only members but also employees that and staff that work here we are now seeing this pocketed area of need we have people that are hungry for this, that want this to happen. And so now is the time to think outside the box, to be creative and to say, okay, I see you. I see this area of need. And I think a lot of times, and I've noticed this just going out and about now that we've reopened, a lot of people just assume I'm going back to the way I did it 15 months ago. And yet, Business owners have changed their policies. Employees have changed the way they interact with people. And even parishioners in our own church changed the way they interact. You know, we were, you know, one of the things that was super inviting about St. Patrick's pre-pandemic about people is we're very touchy-feely. There were always greeters and people knew each other. And um, it was a beautiful community. However, now I can even say being a part of it this weekend, you had some people that were ready to hug. And some people that were like, hey, hey. And put their little hand yeah. out naturally to give themselves that pocket of space. And I think as a people, we need to acknowledge that not everyone is at the same rate you are. No, and that's why, you know, when we sat down for our planning before the weekend, you know, I was I was explaining to everybody that, like, my kind of, my take on the situation was that, you know, I felt like we should just rip the Band-Aid off and we should just go back. Which, I know if some, somebody's listening, I said that I would never advocate for the ending of outdoor masses. However, when I made that comment, it was a long time ago. And I didn't think it was the right thing. You know, the way our caseload has progressed, the way our vaccination rates have progressed, I really felt like we were in a, a very different situation from when I made that statement. At that time and point, I never did advocate. I stood by that. Never advocated for the ending of outdoor masses. Because it was wrong. And that's I mean, honestly, it was probably about five, six months ago when I said that. <laughs> yeah. You know, Things kind of change every week. Yeah, so. it's kind of a different time. But the one thing, you know, that I really felt strongly about when we sat down the plan for the opening was the fact that, um, you know, we knew that we would lose people when we went back inside. You know, and I think everybody on the team uh, knew that. They were aware of that. We knew, we knew some people just wouldn't be ready to go inside. The thing that I think a lot of people were surprised uh, about that they maybe hadn't thought about when I mentioned it was the fact that we were probably going to lose some people that had been inside because before you had been inside but you were only inside with 80 people 
mm-hmm. and you were sitting really far. You were socially distanced. You were sitting six feet apart. Now, some people I know for a fact didn't come this weekend because they're not ready to sit that close, uh, you know, with that many people. And so one thing I felt really strongly about is that we came up with a plan that if you're ready to move, if you were ready to move forward, to take your mask off and shake hands, you had enough freedom in the mask to feel comfortable. On the other side of that, if you were not ready to move forward, but you were happy to be back inside at mass, there were enough restrictions to make you feel safe. Uh, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Does it meet everybody's needs? No. Is it a compromise? Definitely. And I really feel that that's, that's kind of what we have to do right now. And that's why we have, that's where we are. That's where we kind of have to be. The one thing that I did observe at all, because I was here for all the masses this, this past weekend, is that there was no one in the middle. There were either the people that came in and they opened their arms. I know you guys can't see, but they <laughs> opened their arms and they were like, oh my gosh, Rachel, I haven't seen you in like a year. And they were ready to hug. And then there were the other people who came in and was like, hey, Rachel, I haven't seen you in like a year. And then they walked to their place and sat down. And, you know, I think that um, it would be a disservice to those people who want to come to Mass and want to come inside. And right now, they're not up for anything else. I think it would be a disservice to them to kind of push them forward before they're ready. Because something else, you know, we kind of discussed was um, when I was meeting with some of the people that have been helping me is that, you know, we have to be okay that people may come to see what we're doing and what it's like. And we need to feel, make them feel comfortable enough to walk out if they're not Mm-hmm. And on and and the other thing is that we have to be okay with that, because not everybody's ready, you know. And you know, for people who are going to mass every single Sunday, every Holy Day obligation, for mass to be taken away in the beginning was a huge hit. It was a huge sacrifice. And you know, I know there's a variety of listeners in a variety of different places that listen to our show, and the thing is that. Now, if you're one of those people that came back to Mass during the pandemic or reprioritized your life, and the joy, because I know there's plenty of people out there that express this to me, the joy they felt when they were able to receive the Eucharist for the first time, now you understand why the people who have been coming to Mass all along, they were so heartbroken when it was taken away. Yeah. You know, and, and it's going to take a while for us to heal that wound. It's, it's not going to go away overnight. I mean, it's great that we're back, but it's something that takes time to heal. Because some people are not over it. You know what I mean? Not not to say that, like, not they're not over it, what's wrong with them, like, in a negative light, but they're just not over it because it was such a wound. And and I, I said this before on the show, and I stand by this. You know, if you would have asked me this mask would have been taken away, I would have laughed at you and called you crazy because... I mean, I know we live in a crazy world and stuff, but, like, I would have never thought that I would have seen a day in my lifetime that we wouldn't have had masks. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I expected people to kind of not go because people were scared, but I would have not ever thought we just saw it taken away from us. I agree. It was something um, I pray was once in a lifetime. Um, I think that what was it? Um, 
this past weekend, especially in this area, it was very remarkable to watch people and what they chose to do this weekend. Like now that everything was reopening, um, our amazing rock interns, uh, we had their celebration dinner, um, to honor their community service over the year. And, uh, I let them choose. I mean, it was their dinner. And so they picked, uh, Gina's in the village and we sat and I was just watching everyone around. Some wore masks. Some were happy to not, uh, the distance protocols weren't really in place all over the village and people were moving around. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, what's Saturday going to be like for mass? Because, um, that was the first communions. And I was like, okay, like I'm very eager to see what happens. And I made my own predictions, but then I noticed like traffic was getting heavier, uh, more bodies were around and I was like, okay, well, this is giving me some thoughts for Saturday. And so here comes Saturday and we have mass. And I will say, I thought it was going to be to the brim, like wall to wall people, like in my head, given what I had seen, I was like, oh, it's going to be here. That was not what happened. So listeners feel comfortable. It wasn't like that. I did um, notice that people were very intentional where they sat. They were kind of like, because they don't know the other person as well as they did 15 months ago. They didn't know if they were comfortable sitting purse to purse with someone. Even my own row, I sat in an area and made sure there were a couple seats away. Not because I was uncomfortable, but I didn't know about that person if she wanted me to sit there. And there was a suddenly, you know, I, I had the laugh because I remember the days when I would be five minutes late to mass and I'm speeding in my Mustang to park and run in to be with the teens uh, for youth mass. Um, and then just like look away and like not want to make a fa- eye contact with father to like sit in my spot um, because I was running late. And those days aren't here anymore. No, it's like everywhere you sit, even like the location where you sit, there's so much cognitive energy that comes from even going and sitting for mass. Um, so I would agree with Stacy. There's, you know, we're definitely the first weekend back. There's a lot of reflection, a lot of looking at how people were responding to one another, um, how people were feeling comfortable for themselves. Um, I think that we are blessed here at St. Patrick's, uh, that we have two avenues of comfort during this time. The first one is that we're still streaming. We're still yeah. streaming mass. So people, you know, especially speaking to the parishioners that were coming for outdoor, feeling super safe. And now that has been taken away, that a streaming option is still available. Uh, but another is that the dispensation is still present for our diocese. And that is something, you know, I personally haven't utilized because I, I have been going to mass. I have been receiving and, um, utilizing my sacraments. Um, however, for people who haven't felt comfortable and people now that are still very cautious, it is still an area of comfort, but I think it's very still important that this dispensation isn't going to be forever. Um, just like we talked about, you know, outdoor mass was not going to be forever. Um, I had even mentally daydreamed of like an outdoor wedding in like five to 10 years. Um, but here, you know, that was taken away really quick. We only had that outdoor option for 15 months. Uh, it was great, 
but there was so much work involved. There were so many factors that we needed. Uh, it is right that that time is over. The outdoor mask era is I'm done. Yeah, I I personally <laughs> loved it. Um, but I I also know how hard it is to put it on and all that hard work and the people involved are so amazing. Um, it is right to be back in the church and not to have that anymore. And this dispensation isn't going to be around either. And I think that as Catholics that are active in our faith and starting to assess for themselves their comfort, got to understand that this, the dispensation crutch will not last. And then we're going to be called to return in order to be right. Yeah, we will. And it's already across the United States. We're seeing bishops rescind the dispensation. Um, I don't have an idea when Bishop Garcia will rescind it. I mean, the last memo was that, you know, it was still in place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my hunch would be um, probably we need to get through July and maybe in August when things calm down and people are starting to return, getting ready to possibly get back into like, you know, a schedule and a routine, maybe it'll, it'll be rescinded then. Um, you know, but I was really pleased with the attitude of the people this week. And, you know, um, I was really, I guess I myself was worried about how the people would handle coming back. But the one thing that I did notice, uh, or I already said the one thing I noticed. Uh, the other thing that I noticed is that the people that were really ready to return to their same seat of, for the last 20 years, next to the same people, I did notice that, you know, they really, I saw some people even ask each other if they wanted to sit with each other. And I saw other people go to sit with the same people in the same places and they, they kind of made like a little motion or whatever to each other, like, is it okay or whatever. So I would say that people were very courteous. I was impressed with the level of, um, you know, kind of, I don't even know what the right adjective would be to describe it, but just their level of awareness that like, hey, I haven't seen you in a year and I like, you know, are you like, are we still going to sit next to each other or like, because if you don't, I understand, you don't want to I understand, but I, I mean, it really was good because I really was worried about that because, you know, I kind of been observing that you that, you know, there's people that are all the way on one side and all the way on the other side of this thing. And, you know, I just was hoping for a great experience, not too much animosity, you know what I mean? Because if there's one thing that I've learned through this pandemic is that, man, you just never know what someone's thinking anymore. No matter how well you know that person, I'm not, I'm, that makes me seem like I think that I'm not crazy, which I'm not. <laughs> but, I mean, some people got some real, like, opinions that I was like, whoa. Absolutely. I would never guessed that you felt that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you, you almost have to kind of like, you know, it's walking on eggshells a little bit so that you don't, not that you need to be worried about being hypersensitive or, or offending someone, but just being courteous, especially especially when it comes to the mask, because, you know, no matter how you feel about, you know, this whole thing, we all have that one thing in common. We all, we all wanted to attend mass and we all missed it and it pained us that we couldn't. And I think you brought up such a good point with what you're saying is that, um, we all have, you know, came in with this shared goal of being indoor for mass. You know, it's like, okay, we are here. And for all the attendees that could come, they were there. Um, but there is something that has come from this pandemic. And 
Um, I think a lot of people were in this new reality that as Catholics, you would assume we would have the same value system and we would have like, okay, as Catholics, this is what we believe. But this pandemic kind of left the crazy to root in a lot of people. And like Stacy mentioned, there are things that you assume about your neighbors, about your friends, about your family that you're like, oh, we're on the same page. Eh, nope totally different and it i think there's still a lot of damage control happening right now and what you know and unfortunately we're kind of living in this and it's transitioning us to this new topic that we're facing is what are we doing when we are now faced with so much division especially now in the media and right now we're kind of hitting with some media looking at the Catholic faith and what we are doing uh, and our views and whether it's views on vaccinations or views on canon law right now, we are all called to meet our fundamental understanding of our faith and be prepared to really be knowledgeable of what we're being asked to believe and understand. Well, that's always been something, like I said, poor catechesis is something that um, we've kind of always struggled with in the church. And, you know, it's really hard these days because... And before you even go on, what would you define as poor catechesis so our listeners kind of understand? Because I know you and I know what it means, but for our listeners, how would you define like poor catechesis as what we are experiencing now? Categorize poor catechesis is basically most Catholics don't even know uh, what church teaching is on many issues. Um, you know, I I would say that a lot of people confuse uh, church teaching for just an unpopular opinion. And I think as Catholics, especially in the climate we live in now, it's very important for us to know what our church teaches on different issues because. Uh, we're not in the business of politics. Um, now, depending on what newspaper you read or which channel you watch or which website you go to, it would really make it seem like we're in the business of politics, but we are not. And, um, you know, and sometimes it would look like we're in the business of judgment. And again, we are not. But, you know, the average Catholic does not understand the teachings on divorce, uh what else? Like a lot of really core central issues, abortion, uh, you know, the right to life, especially in regards to euthanasia, you know, a defense of life from conception to natural death, um, the church's teachings on contraception, the church's teachings on infertility. Um, these are things that seem like they're highly personal and an area where many people will be like, well, the church has no business in my sex life, or the church has no business in this or that. When you break it down and you kind of delve into why the church teaches what it teaches on certain things, you can understand that basically, and this is not, I'm not dumbing it down, I'm just summarizing it for time, (laughs) but it basically comes down to the defense of the human person and the defense of the dignity of the human person. That's what it comes down to. And these are all issues that, uh, depending on what your state in life is, are very hard to grapple with. Um, Depending on what your personal belief is, these are hard things to wrap your mind around. And, you know, 
we are kind of seeing that right now with um, with the United States Bishops Conference in regards um, the media has definitely put the spin on it that it is centered on the president, Joe Biden, who is a daily communicant, by the way. But it really is not, because if you follow these types of things, I know we're kind of like going inside Catholic baseball here, so mm-hmm. to speak, but this has actually been on the bishop's agenda for over two years. They have just never voted on it. Um, and it almost wasn't going to make it this year because they're having a virtual type of meeting, and I think a lot of them really wanted to be able to have a discussion in person about this. Um, this current uh, thing that's going to come, that's really going to play out, and the media is definitely going to spin it as a judgment thing and a political thing in regards to the church. And it's it's not. That's not, and that's not, I'm telling you it's not, and that's not my opinion, that's actually fact. It's in regards uh, to Canon 915. So in the Code of Canon Law, 915 basically states that, um, it, it states that you cannot receive communion if, um, I think it's exact words, or those who have been excommunicated or interdicted after imposition or declaration of the penalty, and others who are obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. This is the center, <clears throat> excuse me, of the issue. What does this mean? Does it, does it mean the bishops are picking on Joe Biden or, for example, Nancy Pelosi? They're not. This actually pertains to us. This pertains to me, the average nobody. I just I'm not I'm not saying that very long, but I'm calling myself a nobody, average nobody. Um, you are not supposed to present yourself for the reception of Holy Communion if you are conscious of grave sin. And um, I hate to break it to everyone, it's not a weaponization of the Eucharist. It's not a judgment call. But let's just say hypothetically that I had went to confession with say Father Beto, who is the pastor here at St. Patrick's. And I had confessed that I had been cheating on my husband and all this stuff. And I wasn't going to stop. Right? The next time I enter the communion line, he actually has the right to refuse me. Because I am persistent in grave sin. And he knows that. And, you know, it gets worse when, let's just say I'm doing something. I mean, I work here at St. Patrick's. I know a lot of people here. A lot of people know me. If I am doing something in my personal life that is that is anti-church, right, and I'm showing up every Sunday and putting myself in the communion line, I am actually giving scandal to the people who know me, who know that I'm committing these sins by receiving communion. It's, very, very, it's a very, very serious thing. And so it's not political. It, it just, it's not. And today I was kind of disheartened. Um, normally I don't get into these type of things, but I was disheartened by some of the tweets from a, a, a Southern California congressman um, who, and I quote, he said, I didn't, I dare you to deny me communion. And he's in support of abortion and a number of other issues that the church um, is adamantly against. You know, you can't have that kind of platform and then do those kind of things. Absolutely. You just can't. It's not a judgment. You know, and and this is where when I say poor cat, we talk about poor catechesis, this is part of where it comes into play. Because, you know, when we use the term excommunication, a lot of people look at it that that you're kicked out of the church. When in reality, when you're excommunicated, it is a hope 
for you to correct your error and come back. It's, you know, it's, um, it's like, hey, you're wrong. Can you look at this again? Let me show you where you're wrong. Let's, let's get you back into the fold. Granted, people have been excommunicated over the course of the history of the church who have not been readmitted to the church. But there are people who have been excommunicated who have been readmitted to the church. And that's what it is. It's, you know, the forgiveness of the error. It's to really bring you back in the fold. God doesn't want to turn anyone away. Uh, you know, canonical penalties, penalties exist for a reason. And, you know, it was really in, in such a polarizing secular world, it is really incumbent that we take it upon ourselves to learn our church teachings, especially on Catholic social doctrine. Because our priests are in such a position when they're on the pulpit that some of them don't feel comfortable talking about. And I would say there are, you brought up so many good points um, in this view. I definitely want to, like, in my mind, honor each. Um, first one is that the reflection with the um, United States Bishops Conference, they're looking at this information you're absolutely right. None of this is political. This is about any sin, whether the sin is your, um, like if you're actively cheating on your spouse and you're go, go to confession, and you still do it. Or if your sin is you got a speeding ticket and you confess that and you continue speeding and rolling over stop signs, they're talking about the same sin. We're talking about like a concept, like you sinned and the priest knows, and they refuse you. But, and, nine, but let me just interrupt you for one minute, though. 915 would involve really grave sin that would give scandal to your congregation or to other your other fellow Catholics. So that's why the hotbed issues of, like, abortion, euthanasia, and even, I, it was it was kind of funny, I actually had to kind of laugh. The congressman that uh, sent the tweets, one of the, another tweet he did was, uh, he tweeted out, how many of his colleagues that he knows are Catholic that support the death penalty? Are they going to be refused communion? Guess what? Probably so. Because we are adamantly, as good Catholics, we are adamantly against the death penalty. Yeah. Which baffles my mind because I know people that are like anti-abortion but pro-death penalty. And I'm like, do you realize <laughs> the dichotomy of that statement? Like, you, you're either, you know, Cardinal Dolan years ago summed it up. The one thing I love about the church when it comes to life issues is that we're just pro-life. And I completely agree. We're pro-life from conception to natural death. There is no gray area for us. You know, and, and it is important for us to learn these things as Catholics. You know, and that and, and by the way, let me just say, I'm not telling you that I don't struggle with things. There's room for struggle, but we have to understand that it's not a slapping of our hand and just telling us no. There is an ex Mother Church has an explanation. And it is usually a compassionate, very reasonable explanation. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. Um, I think the thing, and this is where uh, anyone that knows me knows I'm like a pretty defensive person if like come at me um and I, that was a visual like you couldn't see that over but i was like ah uh it was like a hand claw in my face i almost slapped my face not stays my own um 
But when I read these tweets, you know, anyone that knows me, I'm not political. Like I, I literally would rather do anything else but discuss politics at all. I find it to be like just so bad. Um, however, when I read these tweets as a Catholic, like not as a American, not as a woman, I read it as a Catholic. I was so, I felt like I was looking at the words of a child. And because he's like, how I dare you not to give me communion. Really? Really? You feel like a man for saying, I dare the church? Really? I felt like just looking at this person and you're like, why weren't you hit more as a kid? Like, not that's like, that's like messed up. Like, I know that's like messed up to say. And I'm like, and I'm not pro abuse or anything like that. Trust me. But I feel like these people in power and they get so arrogant that they can defy God and they defy the church. And I just, it literally, it is such an issue for me as a Catholic that it just promotes this sense of entitlement and arrogance and feeling like their personal agendas are above the faith. You are wrong. No, our faith is our foundation. It is what guides us. And, you know, especially in the role roles Stacy and I have where we're educating the youth kindergarten through high school. You know, one of the great things about this podcast is that Stacy and I are very different people and we have different perspectives and opinions. And yet I know with my whole heart, if I had a teenager that needed help and they could not get that guidance from me, I could hundred percent send her, them to Stacy. And I know she'd tell them great things. And the same thing would happen vice versa. Yeah. And yet, you know, as Catholic to Catholic, I have that comfort. This Congress person, I wouldn't want them to change my tire, let alone help a kid because their own behavior and their own actions are that of a petulant kid who wasn't rewarded by the bishop's office. And I just, I find it so divisive. And the unfortunate reality is that the media is going to continue spinning this to make Catholics look like we're the enemy, that we are behind the times, that we aren't compassionate, that we're rigid in our beliefs. That is completely false. And it's, it is a very glaring error of the lack of catechesis. Um, it's showing that not only lack of catechesis, but lack of respect. Well, and not to pick on this poor fellow, because I, I, <laughs> I don't know him or whatever. I got no agenda against him or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just found it funny because, you know, in in one sense, the media is spinning it like the church is weaponizing the Eucharist. You know what I mean? And he's spinning it like it's going to be this turning point into a moment of judgment. But at the same time, so now why are you going to communion? Out of spite? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now, essentially, by your actions, you have, in in your particular instance, you weaponized it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it had that look before, but by you doing this in your specific um, instance, in your um, per- personal situation, you weaponize it. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of people, when they hear about things, a lot of Catholics, that is, when they hear about things that the church teaches, they think that the church just like, you know, like say like with abortion that, I hate to keep using that as an example, <laughs> but they like, oh, the church just came up with this because of Roe versus Wade. No, canon law has actually been around for a long time. Catholic social teaching has been around for a long time. I mean, you can read Leo the Thirteenth, uh, Rerum Novarum. I mean, these things have been around for a long time. And as a tangent, 
Because we haven't had a tangent in, in like, you know, we got to have at least one. <laughs> As a tangent, if you continue from 9.15 to 9.16, it actually says a, a person who is conscious of grave sin is not to celebrate Mass or receive the body of the Lord without previous sacramental confession unless there is a grave reason and there is no opportunity to confess. In this case, the person is to remember that the obligation to make a perfect act of contrition, which includes the resolution of confessing as soon as possible. The reason I'm getting on this tangent is because it just this doesn't just pertain to lay people. Mm-hmm. It just pertains to clergy. And you know, this whole idea, or it's not even an idea because that's a misrepresentation. Let me walk that back. I don't usually walk much back, but that's mm-hmm. an error on my part. This doctrine, this tenet of our faith about being worthy to receive the Eucharist, Oh, baby, we go all the way back to St. Paul on this. This goes back to the beginning of the church about being in a worthy state to receive the body and blood of Christ. And then how when we're not, we drink, essentially we drink and eat condemnation upon our soul. So this is not like a 2020 woke thing. This is like a beginning of the church thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like a first time evangelization thing. You know, this goes way back. You just start going and read those letters. I mean, I know a lot of people don't think about it like this, but when you read um, all of these letters that Paul is writing, he is writing these letters to the early church. The, the church is, um, you know, Paul's letters are really amazing if you think about it because it's really a timeline. You know, you think of all the problems that we think, oh, this is what's wrong with the church today. Oh, we got this and that's messed up. If you go back and you read a lot of Paul's letters, you see the early church forming, and they're writing to Paul going like, oh, man, we got we got big trouble. Here's what we got going on. And Paul's writing back with solutions. I mean, a lot of the struggles they had are similar to the similar, if not the same struggles that we have today. You know, so this is not like a new thing that just kind of like, hey, we're bored. You know, mass was shut down. Our attendance is dwindling. Let's get ourselves on the radar again. Let's do something, you know, yeah. any any kind of PR, like bad PR is better than no PR. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely, you know, why not what we're thinking? You know, I mean, you know, I think it was last week, uh, President Biden had requested to be in Mass at the Vatican, and the Mass was canceled. That's how serious this is with the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops. And the reason the Vatican spokesman said that it was canceled was because they did not want to... Um, allow mass to happen when they knew the bishops were undertaking this this was part of their summer uh, meetings and their summer agenda yeah you know so it is a serious thing for us and if you're listening today i challenge you and when i I, this is a specific challenge get to know your faith and don't just read from any websites i mean go and find like a you know like catholic answers the vatican actually if you go to their website they have tons of encyclicals and documents you can link to the Code of Canon Law. Uh, believe it or not, the Code of Canon Law is um, its not as legalistic uh, of a read as you would think. It, it's really easy for the, for the average layman to read. Uh, it's very cut and dry. So read your, um, you know, your Catechism of the Catholic Church. That is a great tool for us. And the beauty of that one is that, it, you know, you don't have to read from, you know, cover to cover. You can literally use the index and look up topics. When you're uncertain, don't get don't get your information from just anywhere. Get it from the source. And that, that Catechism of the Catholic Church answers a lot of questions on a lot of different morality issues we have, um, social justice, 
um, you know, basic tenets and beliefs, um, doctrine. It is a great resource. If you don't have one in your house, I strongly, I mean, it's right, should be right there with your Bible. And I would say this too, and if you're going to go and investigate this further, it, you are, if you're like me and you're going to read this, admit you're going to go, I disagree. And the fact is disagreement with these laws is a natural and a part of human nature because we have lived our lives, made our choices, had our experiences, observed others. If you are coming into this and you read it, like, yeah, that's right. You are probably the only person because we all have different experiences and perspectives. I recommend that if you're going to be doing this reflection of canon law of reflection for yourself about these topics, start with an opening statement on a piece of paper, what you believe before you read the law. I'd be like, okay, before I even know this, this is my personal perspective. Then read it and have that conversation with yourself. Be like, okay, this is what the church believes. This is what I came in with this belief. How am I going to create this marriage between the two? How am I going to reconcile my beliefs? How am I going to correct mine? Or how am I going to accept this? Because that's ultimately what it is. Because if we, if you don't take that time, if you don't have that understanding, then what's going to happen is just like, um, not to pick on the congressman, they're going to be like, oh no, this is it. Dare you to come at me. No, we don't want to have that in this new reopening phase, this new rebirth of the church that we are now currently in. We got to look at these divisive things and stop it at the source. Come in knowledgeable, come in open-minded, come in willing to learn from fellow Catholics and the source. Because I guarantee you, you're going to open your eyes to so much more if you come in knowing what you thought and then start breaking those walls down. It's really amazing when you give yourself permission to change. Yeah, and you know, the reason that I even mention it today is because this is going to be something that is going to occupy the media when the decision is made. And, you know, sadly, I'm, I'm, some people are not going to like that I'm going to make this next statement, but sadly, the reason that I said to use reputable sources is because you have even some Catholics, some well-known Catholic theologians that really have some generous interpretations of some things. And so if you go back to the source, you know, you go back to the original uh, letters, original documents, you'll see what was really intended. And, you know, another reason is that I wanted to mention is because it seems like it's going to be really judgmental and really hurtful. But, you know, the thing is, is that I don't think a lot of people realize that we're all called to this anyways. I mean, there's times when I haven't went to confession and I haven't killed anybody, haven't missed mass, but I, I got something that's weighing on my soul and I don't present myself for communion. Communion is not a right. You just don't show up and it's available. You have to be properly disposed. And I think a lot of people, that teaching, we're lacking in that teaching. And, you know, um, Pope John Paul II, or St. John Paul II, actually said it was the greatest gift that God gave us. Was, you know, the gift of the Eucharist. And when you think about it, you, you think about what you're getting ready to receive when you enter that communion line. I mean, wouldn't you want to be properly disposed? I mean... 
How many people realize that you're supposed to be fasting for an hour before you receive? That's no food or drink. That's only water or medicine is supposed to be consumed. That's not an old teaching. That's actually still there. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's not a right. It's, it's not, you know, there are things we have to do. We have to prepare. It's, it goes back to when we talked about not getting anything out of mass. Well, what are you doing to prepare? You know, if you truly believe that you are receiving the body and blood of Christ in in the Eucharist, then... I mean, Christ is getting ready to be physically present in you. I mean, the best way, it sounds like I'm dumbing it down, but the best way I can describe that is if whatever your mass time is, you know, if you come to the vigil at 5 o'clock on Saturday, you essentially have an appointment with the Lord. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to prepare for your appointment? I mean, it's I, it sounds really cliche and it sounds really childish, but essentially that's what it is. It's your appointment with the Lord. Are you just showing up and, you know, I can't think of a crass way to not say this, but just half doing it. <laughs> you know, we don't have a, a, a delay. Sorry. We don't have a beep. Sorry. We don't have a beep, or a, a beep or a delay. I mean, are you just showing up and just halfway doing it? I, I don't think so. You know what I mean? I don't think, and I, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that in a way that I don't think any of us, if we sit down and think about it, we're not doing that. And I don't think a lot of us, that's our intention either. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that actually the timing, the fact that they never had a chance to get to it, could be actually monumental. Because we just came off of an imposed Eucharistic fast. I mean, when we didn't have Mass. And so we're coming back in this mindset of something, because we never, let's face it, if we just didn't go to Mass, we just didn't go, right? But we never had it taken away from us. This time we did. So we did have a fast. Most people, I can't tell you, if I had a dollar for every person that told me when their first mass back during the pandemic, whenever it was, the first mass back that they came and they received, that they, they teared up. I mean, honestly. It happened Jeff, to me. Jeff Bezos has nothing. Yeah. Right? I mean, so the, the appreciation and the, and the desire is there. So this could be monumental for us as Catholics to learn more about what our church teaches on the Eucharist. I mean, you know, the actual terminology that the Bishop's Conference is using is uh, Eucharistic coherence. Which, if you think about it, is, I mean, that's not a coincidence. Yeah, I, I agree. This is definitely going to be something... Um, we as Catholics are going to be facing the conversations of in the next few weeks, probably a couple months. Um, so really take this time um, to prepare, to prepare, do your research, write us, post your comments below what underneath this link. Let us know what you think, your, your questions, uh, because this is a living conversation. It doesn't end with this episode. This is something that we're going to be living in and facing the consequences of their decision. And so it's going to be very interesting for us as we adapt and move forward through the reopening and with this bishop's decision. Um, but we will be keeping you updated along the way and making sure that you are um, supported as our listeners. And so... 
Uh, we've gone over time, of course, because that's oh. what we do. <laughs> I was going to say, and one more thing. Yeah. No, no, but we're we are at the close, but we you are going to get us in two weeks, which will be awesome. And we're so glad to be back and slowing down. I would, our, I don't want to say that too seriously because knowing us, something might happen. Um, but for now, we're just glad to be back. Um, I... Um, got this amazing, uh, closing prayer, um, from, um, this amazing resource we have called, uh, Bible study tools. It's a great, um, Catholic and Christian based website that provides like daily study stuff. Um, it's both for adults and youth. Um, and, uh, pastor, uh, Frank Santora gave this whole challenge on like trying to level up with your faith. And I utilized this exercise. It was awesome. So I'm so happy to be sharing that with you today for our closing. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we've come to you with our um, full and broken souls, God. From this point forward, we are choosing to put God first in our lives, choosing to forgive and move on. We choose to go all in with our faith and trust in you, O Lord. I'm choosing integrity and accountability, choosing to be faithful to our spouse and partners, choosing to be attentive to our kids, and choosing to be good stewards of your resources. Lord, we ask you to help us walk away from what we know is wrong in our lives and ask us to hear your voice and allow him to put us on the path to follow him in all things. God, we ask you in this new time to have us choose to be better, wiser, smarter, choose life, and choose righteousness. Lord, we ask for your guidance always. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Guys, we are back. This is Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts, Stacey and Rachel. You'll catch us in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. Have a great week. See y'all later.